have something very important happening uh, in the life of our church. Um, how many know what I'm referring to? Right. Um, there's that rich Barry White. Um, uh, so grateful that so many have responded already and signed up. Um, but I, I wanted to take the time just to share um, from my perspective why you should sign up if you haven't already. Um, and it, it has to do with the way uh, we see things. Um, the way you f- the way you frame something, the way you perceive it, has a lot to do with how you relate to it. And for, for many who have already signed up, you signed up, uh, one, probably because you, you want to be with the church. And you're like, oh, man, we get to get away. We get to have meals together, get out of the city. And maybe you went last year, and you know that it's going to be a really powerful time. Um, so you're looking forward to that. Or maybe you didn't go last year, and you heard from many others, and you're like, I'm, you know, you have extreme FOMO, and so you don't want to miss out this year. Um, for all of those reasons, incredibly valid. I'm glad you signed up. If you didn't sign up yet, I want to add one more really important reason. And it, it comes to mind by virtue of a story I heard about this man who really struggled to pray. Uh, He was a Christian leader, and so he had a lot of shame over the fact that he's a Christian leader, and he actually struggled to pray. He didn't have much of a prayer life at all. Uh, And every single day, he had a calendar entry that said at 7 a.m., prayer. And every single day, that calendar entry would come, and he wouldn't pray. And then he would feel shame and just remorse over the fact that he wasn't uh, responding to God's invitation to pray. Until one day, he did something simple. He rewrote that calendar entry, not as prayer, but as meet with God. And all of a sudden, it was no longer like a religious duty, something that he had to do and struggled to do. Now he couldn't wait till his alarm went off because he knew what he was saying yes to. Can I tell you that at this retreat, as we continue to pray for this retreat, and a lot of prayer is going into this retreat, As we continue to fast and seek God and ask him to do something transformative, the biggest reason, in addition to, yes, we're going to leave the city for a couple days and you're going to smell fresh air. You you probably forgot what that smells like, you know, and we're going to have fun and have meals together and and we're going to be with each other, all of those things. But can I tell you that the greatest reason that should drive all of that is that I really believe God's going to meet us that we're going to spend time with God and we're going to come back saying, I have met God. If one word from God can absolutely change the trajectory of your life, one time, and that weekend we're going to create tons of margin just to be with God as well as to have fun and uh, go hiking and do a bunch of stuff that we can't do here in Queens uh, without getting arrested. And so um, come to the retreat. So if you have not signed up already, now is your moment. You could pull out your phone, uh, hit the QR code like right now. I won't be offended. Um, I would prefer for you to do it right now. If you recall, we have till the end of this month. And so if you have not signed up, signed up now. If money is an issue, 
Don't let it be an issue because uh, we have already said that we are going to make sure that anyone who needs to, that wants to go, we'll get you there um, to the retreat. And so uh, let's go meet God together um, November 10th through the 12th. And let's believe that we're going to come back really, really transformed. Who's going to join? Who's coming to the retreat? If you don't see a hand go up, look at somebody and say, why? Why? Wow, that was so compelling. Why? You don't want to meet with God? Why? You know, come on, let's go. Let's go meet with God. All right. Romans chapter 6, verse 15 to Romans chapter 7, verse 6. It begins, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you allow us, even uh, on a day like today where uh, the weather's challenging, Lord, you helped us to push through all of that and to come together in your name. Lord, with expectant hearts, that you would speak to us and meet us. Jesus, we, you have our attention. We ask that you would 
Open our hearts to hear your voice. Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus. Transform us as only you can. And we thank you, Father, that you meet us in such mercy and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. The verses we've read, in particular from verse 15 to 23, I don't know if you noticed, we just read it once, but if you read it again, it becomes very, very clear that the word slaves or slavery is used many times in those verses, and it's not just used in one way. Actually, it's used in two ways. It, des it describes people as either being slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. In other words, it, it doesn't describe people as in, in like a light of neutrality, where it's just, it's, you're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. And what's interesting about that construct, that thought, is that thus far in Romans, what we've seen is that Jesus has set us free. He set us free from the, the prison of trying to perform and achieve and merit salvation. He sets us free from that. If you meet Jesus, one of the things that Jesus will be sure to shake out of your soul and mind and say, that doesn't belong there. I want that out of you is the idea that you and I have to earn his love. He adamantly resists that. He, he refuses for that to be a functional, operational thing in you and I. He says, no, you don't have to earn my love, achieve it, deserve it. He sets us free from that because he has accomplished what he alone has accomplished for us, a grace that's extended to us, not based on what we have done or ever could do or ever earned. That's what Jesus has done for us. He set us free, yet what we're reading here is kind of jolting because what we find out is that he set us free in order that we might become his slaves. And now even as I say that, some of us are like, Wait a second, I signed up to follow Jesus. I didn't sign up to be his slave. This is some bait and switch. I don't know about this. I heard that if I just gave my life to Christ and said a prayer, it, you know, that, I, that everything would be great. Wait, you mean this is in the fine print? That he, what, he set me free to be his slave? Nothing about that word should be appealing to us. Because to be a slave is not appealing. It's not what anyone would willfully choose for themselves. No one chooses to be a slave. It's imposed upon them. Their freedom is taken away. And so the idea that Jesus sets me free in order to take away that freedom so that I could be his slave is very counterintuitive. I think part of uh, our resistance to this idea of Jesus setting us free to be his slaves, even though it says you're either a slave to sin that leads to lawlessness or you're a slave to obedience that leads to sanctification. You're either a slave to Jesus or a slave to yourself or a slave to sin. Like you're, there's no neutrality. 
Part of, I think, the resistance is that, unfortunately, in our context, we have in our mind American slavery. We have the over 400-year nightmare that African Americans experience in this country. And when we think of slavery, that's the concept that comes. It was like, wait, Jesus set me free for that? That's inhumane. That, is, that runs counter to everything I would know about him in Scripture. And you would be correct. He did not set you and I free for that. But actually, during this time, and in particular to the audience this was written to, this was written to followers of Jesus who lived in Rome during the Roman Empire. And during that time, there was a form of slavery called bond servanthood or being a bond servant. And that form of slavery was very different than what we know. In essence, if you were a bond servant, it was because you amassed some form of debt that you could not pay off on your own. And in order to pay it off, and in order to not live indebted, you actually agreed to become the servant of the person whom you owed whatever you owed to. And you were a servant until the debt was paid off. That was the concept of slavery, as people are reading this for the first time then, that's what would be in their mind, not what comes to our mind due to the American nightmare of, of African-American slavery here. It was this, and here's what's also interesting about being a bondservant then. At a certain point, many of these people that were in, in, in indebted servitude, trying to pay off a debt, at the end of their their time where the debt has been paid, many of them would choose willful servanthood to that master because they were treated well. They were cared for. Their debts are paid. And actually now they're like a servant. And, and, and in exchange for their, servant, their service, they got paid for. It was like a job. They, they were tending to this family. They could walk away at any point now because the debt's been paid, and yet they were choosing to say, I serve you of my own volition and will. If we understand slavery from that perspective, when it says you are either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness, what we're being, what we're being made to understand is this idea that you and I are willfully choosing whose slave we will be. And the two choices before us are either slavery to sin, which leads to lawlessness, or willful slavery to Jesus that leads to sanctification. In our lives, there is no neutrality. We are either saying yes to serve sin or yes to serve Jesus. As simplistic as that may sound, this is as clear as what we're being presented. So the question is not who, the question is not are you serving someone or something? The real question is who are you serving? Who is the master that you are willfully bowing down to? And what we're being told, it's either God or sin. 
Isn't this a very different idea of freedom than what we are used to and how our culture defines freedom for us? See, what we're learning is that Jesus doesn't free us unto ourselves, or he doesn't just give us freedom just for the sake of freedom. He sets us free so that we can have the choice to become his servant. Jesus set you and I free so that we could actually have the ability to choose to be his servant. That's freedom. Freedom from God's perspective is you and I being freed in order to serve him. Doesn't that run against the American Western concept of freedom? Because in our culture, we're told that freedom is do you. Live your truth. Uh, No one should restrict what you want to do. No constraints. God, government, society, no constraints. Live free. Uh, That's what we're told is freedom. And yet what we're seeing is from God's perspective is something totally different. Our culture says freedom is freedom from. Freedom from God, from constraint, from someone trying to tell you what to do, from whatever. But what we're seeing is that God has a different definition of freedom. From his vantage point, freedom for us is not freedom from, but it's freedom to. We are freed to serve. We are freed to say yes to him. We are freed to obey. That is freedom. Do you know the freest you and I will ever be in this life is the freedom to obey? You are never more free than when you are obeying God. You are never more bound. I'm never more bound than when we are not obeying God. Freedom is not the freedom to do whatever we want. Actually, what we realize here is that that kind of freedom is actually slavery. The freedom to have no constraints, completely lawless, it actually says it goes from lawlessness to more lawlessness. Do you realize that the freedom that our culture says is freedom, it actually leads to slavery, and the slavery it leads to, at first glance, it's very deceptive because it doesn't look like slavery. It looks like you get to do whatever you want, but underneath that, that mantra, you get to do what you want, is actually the worst form of slavery because in that context, you doing whatever you want means that God's voice and his law and his word is absolutely muted in your life. That's what freedom looks like from the world and from our culture. Freedom from God's perspective looks like obedience. The more obedient you and I are, the more free we actually are. How many know someone whose life is like really marked by a, like an intentional obedience to God? Aren't those people moving and just like you want to be around them? Uh, they, they, their, their life is like a really powerful force. They, they don't even have to say nothing. Just be in their presence. And you're, you're, you're in the presence of someone who's truly free because they're free to obey God. 
Uh, you know, I planned on saying this, and it's funny that Yuri and Edwin are here. Um, I officiated Yuri and Edwin's wedding a few weeks ago. Um, and one of my true joys in the whole experience was getting to meet Edwin's dad. Edwin's dad moved me as a follower of Jesus so much that after the wedding, I called a few friends and said, I got a vision of who I want to be when I'm older. I want to follow Jesus like that guy. It, and I, he was one of the freest persons I've seen in a while. The way he moved in the room and talked to people and just, ah, oh, the freedom that emanated from his eyes. And if you, if you got to scratch the surface conversationally, you would hear what mattered to him most. And it was the kingdom of God. Man's retired. He could, like, have his feet up somewhere and just another margarita. That's how he could live. But no, all what he wanted to do is more of the Jesus stuff. All he wanted to do. The most obedient people that truly are obeying from the heart. We actually read that. They obeyed from the heart, the teaching that they were committed to. Those are the freest people you'll ever meet. And that's who Jesus calls us to. You ever had the question over something in your life where you say, man, what's God's will for my life? Anyone ever asked that question? Um, if, you, if you didn't raise your hand, uh, I'll pray for you after. You should be asking that question. Like, please ask that question. That's a really important question. Every day of your life, please try to find an answer to that question. Because um, that's the most important question. It aligns your life under reality as it should be. God is God. I am not. He created us. He has a plan for us. We live out our lives seeking to know what his will for our lives is. And our lives are most flourishing in the service of saying yes to his will. Often we ask that question, I want to know what God's will for my life when we're thinking about, should I take that job or should I move and defect to the South? No disrespect. I know some of you are from the South, but my friends keep defecting to the South and it's just really irritating me. I was with my friend over the weekend, known him for like 20 something years. He defected to the South. If he said one more negative thing about New York, I was not going to constrain myself. I said, stop, stop, stop. Yeah, we get it. Florida is great. Just stop. And so... I totally digress. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> this is it. <clears throat> I feel really passionate. I, I love New York, even though it's like cruel to us at times. Love this city. I want the gospel to transform the city. Um, we ask, what is your will for my life? And we typically say, should I take that job? Should I move? Should I enter into this relationship? All really important things to process and discern. Is this God's will for my life? Do you know, if someone asks you, hey, what's God's will for your life? You could absolutely, a thousand percent accurately say, his will is for me to obey him. Some of you came in here saying, I don't know what my purpose in life is. You're welcome. <laughs> you just got it. The mystery solved. No more, it, that's it, just go home, get a nap. You know, like you're done. You're like the question has been solved. What is your will for my life? To obey me. This is what Jesus has freed us. He freed us to obey. Obedience is freedom. Obeying God is freedom. 
You see, thus far in Romans 6, we've learned that Jesus, his transformative, redemptive work accomplished in our lives, one of the things he was accomplishing was that you and I would die to sin. And he accomplishes that by uniting us with Christ. We read that in the previous verses last week. We were united with him in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. And as a result of that, the body of sin has been destroyed. And so we died to sin as Jesus united us with him in his death. But now we're also learning that we walk this freedom out, this death to sin It's walked out by us choosing to be his slaves. If you and I are dead to sin because we were united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, then the result, the choice we should make and keep making is to present ourselves as those who have been dead to sin and present ourselves to God as his servants. Look what verse 16 says. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Look at verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. The question is not, are we dead to sin? The question is not, should we continue in sin? Uh, It's clear, we're dead to sin. We shouldn't continue in sin. Why? Because we're dead to sin. The question that remains before us is, in light of what Jesus has done, who will you and I present ourselves as their servants? Will you still serve sin and the past and, and, and our own hearts, our own volitions? Will we still serve pleasure? Will we still serve our own ends and means? Or will we serve the one who set us free in order to serve him. You realize every single day that you and I wake up, the question before us is, who will I present myself as their servant today? You don't know what the day is gonna bring. How many people start off, uh, you ever had those mornings like, today's gonna be a good day going to be a good day. I don't know what's going to come. It's going to be a good day. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a good day. And at the end of the day, it's like, today was a dreadful day. You know, like it just, you didn't know what was coming your way, but you started off the morning feeling optimistic, hopeful. When you don't know what's coming your way for the rest of the day, the first question that has to be answered is, regardless of what comes my way, whose servant will I be? And you and I will receive multiple opportunities to answer that question. Throughout the day, you and I have multiple checkpoints. Whose servant are you going to be? Someone like cuts you off in traffic. 
when you're driving. Right there, there's a question that you have to ask. Whose servant will I be? Will I serve Jesus? Will I obey him, which leads to sanctification? Or will I serve sin, which leads to road rage and Rikers Island? You know, like that. Whose servant will I be? You get a scathing email from an employer or, or a teammate uh, really misrepresenting you, and, and it's just difficult. And whose servant will you be? Will you be the servant of sin that says you should be bitter, you should become vindictive, you should, like, let them know? Or will you be Jesus' servant that says, what's the most loving thing I could do right now? How can I be faithful to the truth? How can I be fair? Uh, you don't have to get stepped on and mistreated, but you don't have to be vindictive and, and like respond. Like, what does it mean in those moments to consider who am I going to present myself as their servant? Perhaps you didn't realize that all the stuff that's been coming your way in your life Many of it has been coming just for you to get clarity for yourself as to whose servant am I really? Who am I consistently, continuously choosing to present myself as their servant? And here's what's so absolutely amazing about what Jesus has accomplished for us is that Jesus, through his redemptive work in your life and mine, he sets us free in order that we could actually choose to obey him. And I think sometimes the miracle of you and I being able to obey is not actually fully appreciated. You realize how miraculous it is that you and I find ourselves saying yes to God when everything around us, when, when sin that knocks at the door of our heart, everything in our lives is set up for us to say no to God. And yet, the miraculous nature of what Jesus has accomplished for us is that he's taken hearts like ours. Uh, Augustine talked about sin looking like a heart turned inward, where we, we're turned inward to ourselves. Jesus takes hearts like that and transforms it and makes our hearts turn outward toward him. If that doesn't feel miraculous to you, I don't, I, then please show me how you got the heart that you got because maybe your heart was turned inward less or maybe just had a little dent. Mine was an absolute, like, devastated collision. It was unsalvageable. Apart from God, taking our inward turned hearts, obedience is absolutely impossible. To love people that hurt us that's impossible apart from Jesus turning our hearts outward. To speak kindly to people that don't treat us kindly. I have a friend that I look forward to hanging out with him in social settings because I know what's going to come when we hang out in that inevitably it always happens and it happens multiple times while we're happening or while we're hanging out. All of a sudden a conversation will come up and he'll begin to talk and he'll be like, 
And it's almost like, do I have to restart the iPad? What happened? You know, like, it's like he's stuck. I'm looking for the reset button. And he just stops. And we're like, hey, you want to say something? No, I shouldn't. I was like, no, no, say. We, we, tell us what you're thinking. No, I shouldn't. Um, yeah, please, let's move on. Conversation. Happens multiple times. Every time we hang out. Because in his life, he's come to the place where he realizes that Jesus is Lord even over his words. And he doesn't want his words to actually not line up with the fact that he is presenting his members, his body, his whole self as an instrument of righteousness. And so he would, he's okay with suffering looking like awkward in these social moments. It's awkward looking. We love him. But it's actually really, really awkward. I mean, he's just, he stops multiple times when we're hanging out. And we got to wait, you know, for the reset to happen. And he's willing to do that because he's choosing in those moments, who am I presenting myself as their servant? Is it sin or is it Obedience that leads to sanctification. God wants us to walk in freedom. And that freedom is only found in our willful obedience to his word. That's the freest you and I will ever be when we say yes to what God invites us to say yes to. And every day, we are given multiple opportunities to answer that question. Who will you and I present ourselves as servants to them? But if we understand what Jesus has made possible, do you realize that every single day, when you and I go out in the world, as flawed as we are, we actually allow the world to see something spectacular. You are a walking exhibit. Like the, like the Met has nothing on you. The, the greatest museum, the Louvre, has nothing on you. When you walk out in this world and you obey Jesus in this world, you are one of the greatest things that anybody will ever see. A heart that was once turned inward, now saying yes to God. The miracle of that is absolutely astounding. And Jesus' invitation is for us to say yes to your will. Yes to your ways. Think about in your own life, what's the thing that you've been wrestling with lately that keeps making you answer that question? When trauma and pain stir up, it's asking you to answer that question. When a difficult relational tension comes up, it's asking you to answer that question. When an addictive impulse comes up, it's asking you to answer that question. Whose servant will you present yourselves to be? And there's no neutrality. We will serve someone. 
And the invitation is to serve Jesus as he miraculously changes us. Because here's the paths. Slavery to sin, we learned, it leads to lawlessness. That's an interesting concept, lawlessness. Have you ever seen a kid, like, really jacked up on sugar? Then you've seen someone that's lawless. Because try to control that kid. Try to constrain them. It's not going to happen. And so... It, it, the other day, uh, so, I forget where we were at. Someone was about to offer cake to the kids. And we were like, no, no. We didn't want Michael to hear it. And, and as soon as he heard it, it was like, ah, now he's going to want it because all the other kids. And we saw it, literally, as soon as it hit the taste buds. And there was just, couldn't be, couldn't, no constraints. Nothing could bind them. Uh, we recently got a puppy in our home because... We're just silly like that, you know? And so we have four kids. We had enough on our hands. And now we got this puppy. I'm not a dog person, so pray for me, because every single day I got to ask myself the question, will I serve sin? (laughs) No, Um, I'm very kind to the dog, even though he's always trying to bite me and bite my stuff. And so have you seen puppy energy? I didn't know this thing was a thing. I'm like, I will I want to meet an old dog. Like, literally, I just, I'm going to call some friends. How old is your dog? Let me hang out. I want, like, that docile dog that just lays down. I yearn for that. <laughs> yearn for it. Our puppy, my goodness. Can't, I try to feed him, and he's, he's fighting it. It's like, I'm trying to help you, bro. You know, like, no, he's just lawless. <laughs> to be lawless is this state that sin leads us into where God's law, God's word, essentially becomes muted in our lives. We can't hear it. It has no ground in us. It has no place in us. And so we live as if God has no thoughts on the matter. We live oblivious, consciously oblivious, to what he would say. And so though God tells us to love when we're lawless, we live as if that didn't exist. You get the point. Sin leads to lawlessness, which leads to even more lawlessness. This is the path. And so in addition to there being no neutrality, please know that there is a big difference between these paths. One path will lead you down a journey where God's voice will be dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and quieter and quieter and quieter. And soon you can't even hear what he has to tell you, let alone being free to say yes to it. That's one path. The other path is so glorious. The other path, we're told, is obedience that leads to sanctification. And sanctification is this amazing biblical word that describes the process, the journey of God making you and I more and more like Jesus. You know, every single day, God's plan and intention is to make you and I look more and more like Jesus. I may remember maybe when you were a kid and you had, you know, perhaps your parent or a caretaker in your life, um, it, like, 
if they saw your face, you had a little smudge, and they're like, mm, let me, let me, oh, I, I used to hate that. Just like, oh, stop spreading your germs on me. But what, what, what were they doing? They saw like a little spot of dirt or something. It's like, let me get that off you. That doesn't belong. Similarly, God every single day is saying, that doesn't belong. Let me get that out. Let me, let me wipe that off. Why doesn't that belong? Because that doesn't look like my son. And every single day, he wants you and I to look more and more like Jesus. You know how hopeful that should make you and I feel to know that if you, especially if right now you, you say, I don't look like Jesus much. When I look at my actions, my thoughts, my struggles, I scarcely can see his image. And you know what God says? Come here. Let me take that off. I, I'm, I'm going to make you look more and more and more like my son. He is not, he refuses for you to bear anyone else's image. He refuses for you to look like your trauma, like your pain, like what's been done to you. Our glorious God says, nope, that shame doesn't belong. That fear doesn't belong. That, that people pleasing doesn't belong. That doesn't, that's not you. You are to look like my son. And the journey of obedience, it leads to sanctification, which means if you and I keep presenting ourselves and saying, I choose to be a slave to obedience, I've been set free to obey, and by obeying, I go down the journey of sanctification, at the end of that journey is a continuous growing and maturing into a greater likeness of Jesus. If you obey today, it means that you look like Jesus more today than you did the last time you obeyed. With each decision to obey, you give yourself a makeover. You give yourself a refresher. It's like, oh man, I was beginning to look a little dusty. I was beginning to look a little like, nope, here I am. Jesus renewed me. He washed me, cleansed me. I'm looking like him again. That's what obedience allows in our lives where you and I could look more and more like Jesus. That's why sin, we have to own it when it comes in our lives. We have to repent of it. We have to confess it. We can't deny it. We can't justify it. We have to bring it before God and acknowledge that that's not who we are anymore. That's not who he's allowed us to be now. Now you and I no longer have to be a slave to sin. We can be slaves to obedience, to righteousness, which results in you and I looking more and more like Jesus. Your obedience in mind does not make God love us more but our obedience will determine if we will look like Jesus more. You don't obey for Jesus to love you, but if you obey Jesus, he will cause you to look like him more and more and more. Isn't it good news that what you and I have to keep doing 
Think of any issue in your life that you're like, man, I want this out of my life. I want this changed. I want this transformed. I don't want this to limit me anymore. This doesn't belong. God's answer is obey me. And I'll change that because I'll change you to look more like me. And that doesn't look like Jesus. Do you imagine in some future date, if you looked in your soul where trauma used to be, you'll see Jesus. Where fear used to reign, you'll see Jesus. Where addictions crippled you, you'll see Jesus. This is the journey that he invites us. Follow me. Obey me. And with each step of obedience you take, I will change you to look more and more like me. The question that we have to answer is who will we present ourselves to be their servants? Will you and I present ourselves to serve sin, the old slave master that we have died to and been set free from, that old slave master that leads to death, promises freedom, but leads to death, a death that looks alive because it looks like you get to do whatever you want, but actually that's not freedom and that's not life. That's masquerading as life and freedom. It's the worst kind of death. Or you saying yes, presenting yourselves to say yes to God. Say, you set me free in order to obey. I've been freed to become your slave, your bondservant. And when I say yes to you, to obeying, I'm actually saying yes to being transformed in your image and your likeness. I don't know about you. I don't want to look like my trauma, like my pain, like what I've been through, what's been done to me, like my poor choices when I lived under the reign of sin. When we have the opportunity now for you and I to look like Jesus, to be transformed more and more into his likeness. All we have to do in response to what he's done is say, I present myself to you. I say yes to you. No other thing or person has a claim on me. I belong to you. Can I invite us to stand as the worship team comes forward? As we prepare to respond in song, in worship, in prayer, the prayer team is going to be in the back, to my right and to your left. So at any given moment, as we begin to sing and worship, if you would like prayer for anything, anything, the words that were shared earlier, uh, if you're that if you're folks that need the healing that was spoken of, go and receive prayer. Let God touch you, heal you, receive what he wants for you. You can go and receive prayer in the back. Or if you need prayer for anything, maybe it's, just been, a, it's been one of those weeks or one of those seasons of life. Um, 
or maybe the message might have stirred something for you, whatever it is, as we worship in these next few moments, feel free to slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer. With that, could I invite us, if you feel comfortable doing so, could we raise our hands in the presence of God as a physical posture that communicates the desire of our heart to surrender to God, to say yes to God, to say, I present myself to you to be your servant. And in this posture of surrender, of humility, of worship, let's seek God together. Let's turn to him. Let's lift up our voice. Let's Let's take these, these words in song and make them our prayer and, and approach the living God. Say, God, I want to be your servant. You set me free to serve you. I say yes to you today. Let's worship him together.